Welcome to the Church 214 podcast. We're glad that you've joined us today. We hope that you enjoy today's message. And if you'd like to find out more about our church, please visit our website at church214.org. How's everybody doing this morning? Good, good. Well, it's cold in here, but we're going to make this really interactive today. I'm going to have you get up a couple times, so just fair warning. But thank you for braving the cold um, so that your souls can get warmed up. I think this is so important and that we gather together. Amen. We're, we're a family. That's what we're talking about in this Amplify series, that we are, we are an Acts church. We're a church that, um, that gathers together, but so that we can go back out to our homes. So this is week three of Amplify, as Kip mentioned, um, our vision series, really God's vision for us. Um, for both our individual lives, our families' lives, our church lives, uh, our city. And how many people know that without vision, the people perish, right? We need fresh vision from the throne room of God. Without it, we perish. Without it, there is no hope. And that doesn't change anything about the foundation that's been built over the last four years here at Church 214, okay? This vision doesn't change that. It, it, it amplifies it. It builds on top of that vision. And so like Kib said, if you missed any of the last two weeks, I would encourage you so strongly to listen to, the, to those past two weeks because this vision is not a standalone one Sunday message. It builds upon one another, and you have to have all the pieces together. Get it? Awesome. So over these four weeks, we're asking, and God is answering the questions of who, what, where, why and when. And we opened this series with the question, who are we? Who are we? We are apostles. That's the A in Amplify. And as apostles, our responsibility is to identify other apostles, to build disciples up and call them out as apostles. That's the I in Amplify. That's what apostles do. We're family. We're fathers and mothers that raise up sons and daughters. Amen? And our identity is so vitally important. If we don't know who we are, then we won't know what to do, right? And last week, Jesus revealed to us the what. We asked the question, what is success? What does success look, for, look like in our lives? No matter what the situation is, what is success? And success is chasing with everything that we have after the presence of God. That's the P in Amplify. And in success, we find freedom. His presence brings us freedom. That's the F in Amplify. So that's success, the presence of God and the freedom that he brings. See, if we don't know what to do, though, we won't know where to go. And that's where we find ourselves today. We're asking the question, where? Where do we go? Where are we going? How many people know that Jesus is still on the move? Right? Jesus never stands still. He moves. His spirit ignites us to action. Remember the, the picture last week of that junkyard. If we don't have his spirit within us, if we don't have an engine firing inside of us, we're just as dead as those junkyard cars. doesn't matter how many of us are gathered together. It's just more rusted out shells of what we could be. It's just dry bones. And we need his spirit to breathe on us and put muscle and flesh in us. That's why the presence of God is so powerful. Faith without action is dead. It's not faith. And Jesus moves through generations. He's the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. He's the God of Chris. He's the God of Heather. He's the God of Jared. He's, he's the God of Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, 
and you push your name in there. He doesn't stop moving through all the generations. That's why that name is so powerful. He's on the move in this generation. Right here today, he's on the move. So where are we going? Well, if we want to know the answer to that question, we have to ask, where's Jesus going? Because we want to be right behind him. And in Matthew 4, when Jesus called out his first disciples, he's walking by the Sea of Galilee. And he noticed two brothers, Simon, who you, we know as Peter, and Andrew. And they were casting a net into the sea because they were fishermen. He noticed them. Somebody needs to hear this today. Actually, all of us need to hear this today. Jesus notices you. Jesus sees you. He's walking along the shore. He's moving, but he notices you. He noticed two brothers casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. Jesus notices you, and he also notices what you do. Jesus sees you in your ordinary moments. Jesus notices what you do for a living. This is powerful. If we can grasp this. And Jesus called out to the brothers. He said, come and follow me, and I'm going to show you how to fish for people. And the Bible says they left their nets at once, and they followed him. And a little further up the shore, he saw two more brothers, James and John, sitting in a boat with their father. And they were repairing their nets. They were fishermen too. And he called to them, come follow me. And immediately they followed him, leaving their boat and their father behind. So Jesus notices four fishermen, Peter, Andrew, James, and John, calls them out as his disciples. They drop their nets. They leave their boats. They leave their father behind and follow Jesus, never to fish again right? Never to use their skills of fishing and boating again, right? They left everything. Wrong. You guys are too smart. Let me just point some, this is, this is just a small sampling of what they did after they left their fishing and boating days behind, right? Mark 6, so they went away by themselves in a boat to a solitary place. Later on in the chapter, then he, Jesus, climbed into the boat with them. The wind died down. They were completely amazed. Same chapter. As soon as they got out of the boat, people recognized Jesus. Mark 8, he got into the boat with his disciples and went to a different region. Luke 5, he got into one of the boats belonging to Peter and asked him to pull it a little way from the shore. Then he sat down and taught the people from the boat. Luke 8, one day Jesus said to his disciples, let's go to the other side of the lake. So they got into a boat and set out. Matthew 14, those who were with him in the boat worshipped him, saying, truly you are the Son of God. And maybe one of my favorites, one day Peter was coming to the temple in Capernaum, and the temple tax people approached him and said, hey, does your teacher play the tax like all the other teachers, like the rest of us? And Peter says, of course he does. Dumb old Peter. <laughs> and when Peter walked in, it says Peter walked into the house before he had a chance to speak with Jesus. But Jesus spoke up and asked Peter a question. He said, Peter, 
Who pays tolls or taxes to a king? Is tax collected from the king's own children or from his subjects? From his subjects, Peter answered. That's right, Jesus said. The children get off free without paying taxes. That's powerful. That's another message. But you know the solution that Jesus had for Peter's predicament? He said, hey, Peter, just so we don't offend them here, you go out to the lake and catch a fish, and in the fish's mouth will be the tax. He made Peter use his skills as a fisherman. So for guys that dropped their nets and left their boats to follow Jesus, they sure spent a lot of time fishing and boating. They spent so much time in boats. They used so many of their fishing skills with Jesus. Here's what I'm trying to say. They didn't stop fishing. They didn't stop boating. But their purpose shifted. They weren't just fishermen anymore. Their definition of success changed. Now they chased the presence of Jesus. But they used their God-given skills to accomplish their new purpose. They were now repurposed for Jesus. And see, when you seek him first, when you seek the kingdom first, when you seek his presence first, then everything else is added, including fishing. I think one of the biggest lies of the enemy is that we all should quit our jobs and become full-time, quote, air quotes here for the podcasters, full-time pastors or missionaries. Whatever that means, I don't know. And I'm not saying, please hear my heart, I'm not saying that God does not call people to be full-time missionaries or full-time pastors, whatever that does mean. But the enemy has twisted the truth, and this lie is somehow spread that, this, that your ordinary jobs, that you are unqualified. And I've got a newsflash for you. You are qualified. Jesus has both anointed you and appointed you. And newsflash, you are already a full-time pastor. You are already a full-time missionary. You are, are, are already a full-time disciple, and you are already a full-time apostle of Jesus Christ to both influence and shape the culture of this city that you are planted in. You are qualified. And Jesus wants to take what you do, your fishing skills, and repurpose it. You don't need to quit your fishing gig. You just not need to figure out how to seek Jesus first and use your fishing skills for his kingdom. Who are you? You're an apostle of Jesus Christ. What do you do? That's a different question. God created you with unique skill sets. There is no one else on this planet, never has been, never will be, that is uniquely qualified like he has made you. There's only one of you. And he sees what you do. He notices you. You are called out to be a disciple. You are called out to be an apostle. He's the one that's on that shore. He sees you, he sees what you do, and he's calling you out to use those skills for him and his kingdom. But we must make sure that what we do becomes a servant to who we are. What we do must always be a servant to who we are in Jesus Christ. See, in the early church, they used their skills to fund the ministry. And I believe that God's calling us back to that model in his kingdom. 
The disciples' skills of fishing funded the early church. They funded the ministry of Jesus. Remember, several times the disciples, they'd, they'd be out fishing all night long, and they must not have been the world's greatest fishermen because they didn't catch anything all night long, several times. But this is so true for your life. I'm not downplaying their skills. They had real skills. But so many times we work in our own strength. We, we toil all night long, if you will, and we don't have anything to show for it. And then Jesus comes along and he speaks one word and he says, guys, hey, try the other side of the boat. I'm like, really, Jesus? Yes. One word from Jesus changes everything. And they drop their nets on the other side of the boat, and they have more abundance than they can haul in. They had to call other boats along. And they didn't, I'm telling you, they did not leave those fish to rot on the shore. Those fish got sold, and they funded the ministry of Jesus. They funded the ministry of the early church. Do not quit your fishing gig. The Apostle Paul, he was a tent maker. That was his skill set, one of his skill sets. He, he, he was a leather maker. And it funded the early church, it funded his apostleship. In Acts 18, we read where he goes to Corinth, and he meets Aquila and Priscilla. And do you know how they met? They were all tent makers. That's how they met. They met in the marketplace. This is awesome. And it says Paul moved in with them. (laughs) I mean, this is the early church. This is awesome. Paul moved in with them, and they worked together at their common trade of tent making. But every Sabbath, he was at the meeting place doing his best to convince both Jews and Greeks about Jesus. But I guarantee you, if you ever asked Paul who he was, as as good as he was at tent making, he never would have said, hey, I'm Paul the tent maker. Never seen it before. It's important. It's very important. But there's a priority level. Because who you are and what you do are two different questions. And even though it would have been very true for Paul to say, hey, I'm Paul, a tent maker of Jesus Christ, he never started a letter off to the churches that way, did he? Galatians 1.1. This is for you. This is who you are. I want you to check this out. Galatians 1.1. This letter is from Paul, an apostle. I was not appointed by any group of people or any human authority, but by Jesus Christ himself and by God the Father who raised Jesus from the dead. Put your name in there. This is Chris, an apostle. I was not appointed by any group of people or any human authority, but by Jesus Christ himself and by God the Father who raised Jesus from the dead. That changes everything. That's a game changer. Ephesians 1.1, Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ. Colossians 1.1, Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ. 1 Timothy 1.1, Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ. An apostle of Jesus. I'm being sent out to shape and influence the culture of cities for Jesus. That's who Paul was. That's who I am. That's who you are. It doesn't make his tent-making skills unimportant. It actually elevates his tent-making skills but his tent making must become a servant to who he was. Your tent making skill needs to be a servant to who you are. And you are an apostle of Jesus. You are sent out to influence and shape this city for Jesus. Turn to your neighbor and say, you are an apostle of Jesus Christ. 
That was weak sauce. Turn to your other neighbor and tell him, you are an apostle of Jesus Christ. A little better. We'll get you warmed up. I'm warm up here. I don't know what your problem is. The skills that he crafted and ingrained in you are so very important. But he wants you to use your fishing skills for his kingdom. He wants you to use your tent-making skills for his kingdom. What you do needs to be a servant to who you are. Okay, we're going to, everybody stand up for just a moment. I'm going to give you some instruction, then you're going to walk to the back tables and do something here. I've got name tags on the back tables there. And, what, and Sharpies, and you can share the Sharpies, but I want you to do something very simple. Just at the top left-hand corner of the name tag, write your first name, okay? Like Chris, and then put a little dash and put what you do, like your tent-making skill. So for me, it would be Chris Mining Sales, okay? Something like this. But leave, leave a lot of space, okay? Get it? Got it. And then come back. Bring your name tags. Do not unpeel them. Hold them in your hands. Look at the people go. All right, everybody got their name tag? Pretty much. I want you to look at your first name. Jesus notices you. He sees you. He's moving. He's walking along the lake shore, but he sees you. And then look at what you wrote for what you do. He notices what you do for a living. The question this week is, where are we going? And if we want to know where we're going, we need to know where Jesus is going. Remember Moses? Talked a little bit about him last week, but let's rewind a little bit. Moses was a Hebrew, an Israelite, who was miraculously saved when Pharaoh was slaughtering the the little boys in Egypt. He didn't want this army of slaves to rise up and overthrow Egypt. So he had this campaign of killing baby boys. And he was miraculously saved by his mom and his sister, and they made that basket for him. They floated him down the Nile, and this princess finds him. It's this great, incredible story of God. And he ends up growing up in the palace, becoming essentially a prince of Egypt. And fast forward, he's a little older now, uh, and he sees one day The Israelites were the slaves to the Egyptians. Remember, they were building all this stuff for Pharaoh. And he sees one day this Egyptian beating an Israelite slave. And Moses got so upset and enraged, and he's caught in the middle. He's like this Egyptian prince, but he knows who he is. He's an Israelite as well. He's 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 a person of God. And he sees what's happening, and he gets so upset that he goes out and he kills the Egyptian. And out of shame and fear and guilt and what was going to happen to him, he runs away to the wilderness. And fast forward a few more years, he finds a wife out there, he gets married, and he ends up shepherding his father-in-law's sheep. And one day, I mean, talk about life change, right? Goes from a prince of Egypt to being a no-name, ordinary shepherd in the wilderness. And one day, he's way far out in the wilderness, He's out by Mount Sinai, which we know now is the mountain of God. And he sees what? He sees a bush burning, but it it wouldn't burn up. And he goes closer to it and closer. It's still not burning up. And he comes so close 
that all of a sudden a voice from the bush speaks to him. I mean, can you imagine that moment? You're just there with a bunch of dumb sheep trying to scratch out a living, hiding from Pharaoh, and all of a sudden the voice of God in your ordinary moment is speaking out to you. Moses, take off your sandals because you're standing on holy ground. And God tells Moses, I've seen, I've seen, I see you. I've seen the oppression of my people in Egypt. I've heard their cries, and it's time now, Moses, for them to be rescued. So guess what? I'm sending you. The guy with the identity crisis, Egyptian, Israelite, murderer, shepherd. I'm sending you to lead my people out of Egypt. But Moses did exactly what we would have done. He said, God, who am I? Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the Israelites out of Egypt? Who am I to appear before Pharaoh? Who am I to lead the people out of Egypt? And we do the same thing to God when he pushes us forward in in his plan for our lives. We say, who am I? And we argue with God. And he says, God, but, but, but when I tell the people, and when they ask what your name is, what should I tell them? I mean, he's just trying to find stuff to, to not be obedient in this moment. And God replies to Moses, I am who I am. Say this to the people of Israel, I am has sent me to you. And also say this to the people of Israel, Yahweh, the God of your ancestors, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob has sent me to you. This is my eternal name, my name to remember for all generations. And God reveals to Moses in that ordinary moment in the wilderness, his most holy name, Yahweh. The God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob, the God that keeps moving through the generations, the God who is here today and is asking this generation to do something, asking you to do something, that God, that God whose love pursues you for a thousand generations, Yahweh, the most high God. And God is saying to Moses the same thing that Jesus said to his disciples, the same thing that Jesus is saying to you and to me. He says, now go. Because I'm sending you out as an apostle. And you are, who you are is only because of who he is. Who you are, your identity, is only wrapped up in who he is. I don't know if you heard me. Who you are is only because of who he is. You are not your skill set. It's important. You are not a fisherman. It's important. You are not a tent maker. It's very important. But who you are is only because of who he is. And Moses is just as stubborn as you and me, and he keeps arguing with God, right? We would do the same thing. And he protested again. He said, what if they won't believe me? (laughs) What if they won't listen to me? What if they say, Moses, you're crazy. The Lord never appeared to you. And then the Lord asked him this question, and I believe this is the question for us today. He said, Moses, what is in your hand? A shepherd's staff, Moses said. 
And the Lord said, throw it down to the ground. And Moses threw down the staff and it turned into a snake. I know in that moment I would have jumped out of my skin because I hate snakes. But this was God's snake. And Moses jumped back and the Lord said, reach out by the tail of the snake and grab it. That's a pretty obedient thing to do if you know anything about snakes. You don't grab them by the tail. But Moses reached out and grabbed it and it turned back into an ordinary shepherd's staff. Jesus is asking you and he's asking me the same question today. What is in your hand? See, I believe we already hold in our hand the places that we need to go. And when you take what Jesus has already put in your hand, an ordinary shepherd's staff, and you throw it down in front of him on holy ground, then he'll transform it into something unbelievable. So where are we going? There are two specific places that I believe God wants to focus us on as a church, as families, as individuals, as a city, and become more intentional about. And just like Moses, we're already holding them in our hand. We're an Acts church, right? Acts Church 2.14 is from Acts 2.14. We're an apostleship. We're a family. We're a tribe. Obviously, we do this. We gather well together as a church. We do that very well. We will not forsake gathering together. Absolutely not. But the reason that we gather together is so that we can go out. The reason that we gather together is so that we can go out. See, the biggest impact that this church will have is not this hour on a Sunday morning. The biggest impact that this church has is Monday through Saturday, wherever you are planted. And there are two places that the early church was focused on that I believe Jesus is calling us back to. And in some ways we do these well already, but I think God is telling us to, to escalate our game. And these two places, just like Moses, we already hold in our hand. And they may seem very ordinary to us. The first is the marketplace. That's the M in Amplify, marketplace. Acts 17, verse 16 to 17 says this. Now, while Paul was waiting for them in Athens, his spirit was greatly angered when he saw the city was full of idols. So he had discussions in the synagogue with the Jews and the God-fearing Gentiles and in the marketplace day after day with anyone who happened to be there in the ordinary place, in the marketplace. The second place that God is calling us to go is our living rooms. That's the L in Amplify, living rooms. Acts 2.46, and day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts in their homes. We already hold these two places in our hands. There, there, there are ordinary shepherd staff, but if we throw them down on the ground, on that holy ground in front of Jesus, he'll do extraordinary things with them. The places that we are to go are the places that we're already planted in. And we're strategically placed in the marketplace, in businesses, in homes, in schools. And our tendency is to discount what we do for a paycheck. Our tendency is to look down on our fishing skills or our tent-making skills. And Jesus is saying, what is in your hand? That's the powerful weapon that I've given you. 
That's the thing that you've taken for granted, your shepherd's staff that, you, that appears ordinary, that you've overlooked, that thing I want you to use for me, but I need you to release control of it and throw it down. Let me use that common thing that you hold in your hand, and if you throw it down in front of me, just watch what I'll do. The marketplace, your occupation, your business, your ordinary, your school, your day-to-day activities, the thing that you just discount and don't think that God's in, that's the biggest place that he wants to do something in your life. See, there's something in your hand and my hand that you need to throw down at the feet of Jesus. There are spaces in my life and your life that need to be utilized for the king and the kingdom. And some of these may be physical spaces. Some of these may be spaces of time, your calendar. Some of these may be spaces in your heart. But there's something. There's probably more than one thing that the Holy Spirit is revealing to you right now. A couple years ago, um, my wife and I were talking and we realized we had this extra guest room in our house, but we rarely had guests sleep over. My family's from Canada and they, they don't come down that often. And we thought, you know, we're not utilizing this space very well. This is God's house. We need to utilize it better for him. How do we do that? And so long series of events, but he inspired us to turn it into a, an office and a place where uh, my wife and her sister podcast from. And because we took an ordinary room threw it down on the ground. He did unbelievable things with it. It Literally, there's podcasts going from that room, from Jerusalem to Judea to Samaria to literally the ends of the earth. Heidi, my sister-in-law, sister-in-love, was at, if you've heard her podcast, she shared this story, but I'll just recap it for you. She was at the hair salon uh, a couple months ago. And you know, you're, getting, you're focused on yourself, you're, which is great. You're getting stuff done. But the Holy Spirit whispered to her, have a conversation with this, this lady across the way. And because of her obedience, this conversation was sparked by this lady that had moved from Chicago to Peoria and is in love with Peoria. Like, just, she should be working for the, the city or something. She, she loves this place. And she, because she's not from it, like myself, a lot of times people that have been here, you see the common and ordinary. You don't realize what's really going on. And, and, and she's able to see with a fresh vision, a new perspective, like, this is awesome. I don't have to leave an hour before my restaurant reservations. Like, there's all these amazing places. Like, there's so much going on here. And what she was really seeing is the Spirit of God at work in this community. And, and I, don't, I don't think she's saved yet, but because of a conversation I mean, can you imagine if Heidi was silent, never had that conversation? These are the things that I'm talking about, those moments where the Holy Spirit pricks you when you don't want to, but you, but you know you need to have that conversation. Throw it down on the ground. Let him just show you what that, that can mean for the kingdom. My son, at, at his hockey games a couple years ago, some of the boys that are Christians, they decided without coaches or parents or anybody telling them that they're going to kneel at center ice after the game and pray. One of them prays. And it's just a quick thing. It's just a quick moment. But kids from both teams, whether they won or lost, they join together in unity at the center of the ice and they pray. I'm telling you, people see this. 
People see this. We discount things all the time. There's, there's a skating clinic my son's gone to, and, and the coach of the skating clinic, fabulous Christian guy, and he, he, said, he said to himself you know, a few years ago, he said, why don't we do a chapel in, in one of the hockey locker rooms after a skating clinic? Do you know how many kids have been saved because of this? There's literally, I'm telling you, there's revival happening at the hockey rink because somebody took their staff and threw it down on the ground. Took their ordinary and God made it extraordinary. And see, we rush all around. I do this all the time. We rush around. And we're not aware of the holy ground that is right in front of us, the potential that's right there. But I'm telling you, we discount our fishing skills. We discount our tent-making skills. And that's what the thing that God wants us to put down, to release control of, put down at his feet, and he'll blow it up for his kingdom. So what's in your hand? What's God put on your heart? Is it your staff? Or is it God's staff? You know what they called Moses' staff after that moment? The staff of God. Do you know how powerful that is? It wasn't a shepherd's staff anymore. It was the staff of God. Is it your space? Is it your house? Is it your living room? Or is it God's living room? Is it your business? Or is it God's business? Is it your heart? Is it your temple? Or is it his? Because no one else can coexist in here except for God. Jesus said, you are the salt of the earth. You are the flavor of me to the world. We're literally this giant salt shaker, but it's not good for anything unless it's sprinkled out. Have you ever had food and it's had too much salt in it? Like, ugh. <laughs> except for Isaac. He loves his salt. Jesus says, you are the salt of the earth. We are the flavor of Jesus, and it does no good to gather together. This is great. We must gather together. We don't forsake that. But then we must be sprinkled out. We must flavor the city and the world for Jesus. If we don't do it, that's what Jesus calls salt that's lost its flavor. And then it's good for nothing. Good for nothing but to be trampled under the foot of men. In order to flavor and infiltrate our community, we must become intentional and strategic about the marketplace. We must start using our living rooms. Acts 5, 42, I love this verse. It's talking about the early church. It says, and nothing stopped them. <laughs> and nothing stopped them. They kept preaching every day in the temple courts. They gathered together, and they went from house to house preaching the gospel of Jesus, God's anointed one. That's where Jesus is calling us. And it starts in our living rooms. It begins in our living rooms. It begins in the marketplace. Then it spreads to our city blocks and our neighborhoods. And soon the whole region is flavored with Jesus. It's Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, the ends of the earth. There is an order for how this goes. And it's time to take this to the next level. If we call ourselves a church of acts, if we want to be a house of acts, then we must be, in, must be intentional about the marketplace and about living rooms. It goes back to our question from last week, what is success? See, if we're pursuing perfection in our homes, for instance, it could be business-related or homes or school. If your pursuit is perfection, then your living room will be isolated and untouchable. That's an idol. 
I'm so glad that we're in a part of a church that we can mess up a song. We don't pursue perfection. We pursue the presence of Jesus. Of course we do things with excellence. That's not what I'm saying. But we do it for the presence of Jesus. And if you're pursuing the presence of Jesus, then your living room will be full of people. And there may be carpet stains and scratches on the wall, but those are from people, the very heart of God. And isolation is from Satan. There's no two ways about it. Anytime you see isolation and division, that's Satan. Jesus is all about unity, uniting his bride. And you and I are planted somewhere in homes and businesses and schools. And it's time not to wait for perfection, but it's time to get messy, love people, welcome them in. Our living rooms are strategic places. Our marketplace, the business we're in, our schools that we're in, they're strategic places. In September, I got a prophetic word over, spoken over me for, for my life, and part of it was this. It was a picture of me at this table. And I just smile when I think of this, and it was family, like as far as you could see, tables as far as you could see. But it wasn't like blood family, just blood family. Of course they were there. But it was church family. It was everybody at the table. And that's a picture of Jesus. That's what I want for my life. That's what I've been called out to do in my life, is family at a table. That's using the living room well. That's using your kitchen table well. So what's in your hand? See, God has put these things in our grasp. And some of them you've never recognized that they're actually his or could be used for his. It just looks like a shepherd's staff. But that ordinary staff in the hands of Jesus will become a snake for Jesus and devour evil right in front of you. That ordinary staff will do miracles just like Moses' staff did in, in Egypt. That ordinary staff in the hands of Jesus will part the Red Sea. It will bring freedom to the people. That ordinary staff in the hands of Jesus will strike a rock in the wilderness and water will come out. And, and, and people that are thirsty in a dry land will drink from it. You have something in your hand. Everyone has something in your hand, but we must recognize, we must be aware that we're standing on holy ground. And once we recognize that, we throw it down at the feet of Jesus. Our hands are open. Our hearts are open. Whatever he wants to do, it's time to release control of what you think is yours and throw it down at the feet of Jesus. That's when the miracles happen. That's when it becomes not Moses' staff anymore, but the staff of God. And once you release it from your hand and make it his, it becomes a weapon for his kingdom. So maybe it's a physical space that God's calling to you, you to repurpose right now. Maybe it's your fishing skills, your tent-making skills. Maybe it's something empty that just needs to come alive in Jesus, something that looks like dry bones that needs to have his Holy Spirit breathe flesh and put muscle on. The other day I was shoveling my, snow, uh, my driveway with snow, as all of you, I'm sure, were. And um, there's a neighbor that I don't think I've ever talked to him in my life. I've waved at him. He's an elderly man. And... That was the time where we just got a pile of snow. Like, I, I was out there for an hour or two. Kip, you remember this, right? My back was hurting. 
And I'm almost finished my driveway, and I see my neighbor just starting on his. And, uh, oh, God, really? Oh, I'm tired, God. Yep, go over there and help him shovel snow. Okay, I resisted for like five minutes. I did, I did. And then I went over. And it was just, that's, it was simple. There, there, I, didn't, I didn't hold up a John 3.16 sign. I, I just... <laughs> I just helped him shovel snow. Let's not make this more complicated than it is. My basement has been full of men, especially in the wintertime. And it would be really easy with my schedule to say no to that. But I cannot say no to that. There is something powerful that happens Thursday nights when men of this city come together and are vulnerable and, and lay hands on each other and pray for each other. That's, that's revival. And I cannot, I have to lay that down at his feet. You have a space in your life, whether it's physical, whether it's on your calendar, whether, whether it's something, your fishing skill, a tent-making skill, you have something that needs to be thrown down at his feet. And when your space becomes his space, you'll be amazed at what he does. So what's in your hand? See, what's in your hand needs to be transferred to his hand. Remember the story of Jesus in the New Testament where he took the boys' lunch, the loaves and the fishes, enough for one boy, and he fed 5,000 families with it. Remember that story? What's the thing that he did? He took those bread, that bread in his hand and he broke it and then he blessed it. Then he multiplied it. It was only after he broke it and blessed it that it was multiplied. See, God wants to take what's in your hands, transfer them to his hands, and wreck your plans and repurpose you for his plans because they're so much better. You don't want to just be an ordinary fisherman. You don't want to just be an ordinary tent maker. You're like, that's great, but you have so much more potential. Don't give up on that stuff, but take that staff that's in your hand Give it to him. Throw it down at his feet because you're standing on holy ground. Release your grip. See, he's not going to force you. He's not a God that forces anything, is he? So here's what we're going to do. You're going to take your name tags. You're going to go back to the tables, and under your name, you're going to write apostle. You're going to circle it because that's who you are. You're going to leave your tent-making skill on there. That's important, but you've got to identify who you are. And then you're going to write on there, it's telling you to throw down. Just one thing. He's probably speaking multiple things to you. But declare one thing that God is saying, I want this, throw it down at my feet, and watch me use it for the kingdom. Get it? Okay. Then hold on to those and come back to your seats. Once you have it, once you've written it down, I want you to come down to the front here. There's a map of our city. And I want you to unpeel that and place your name and what you're throwing down, what you're declaring on our city. This is a prophetic declaration that you're making. These are not small things. This is new ground that we're taking. These are weapons that you're putting into the hand of God. You're throwing down what you have. You're releasing control of what you have. 
and you're putting into his hands. And he's going to break it and multiply it. The name Peoria is an Indian term. It means carriers. Carriers. You're a carrier of the presence of God. And right now you're making a declaration. You're throwing something at his feet, down at his feet, that he wants to use and break and multiply. We're, cover, we're literally covering the city with his presence right now. This is where revival starts. It starts in your heart and my heart. No one else is going to do this. No one else is coming. It's up to you. <laughs> You're the fisherman. Jesus is walking on the shore and he calls you out. Follow me. Are you willing to leave it all behind? You're still going to fish. You're still going to do a lot of boating. You're still going to make some tents, but you're going to be repurposed to do it in my name for me. We're apostles. We're family. We're one tribe. We're in this together. We're going after his presence. We're seeking his freedom for our city. God, we just declare that right now. Your freedom and your presence over this city. As we step forward in faith, as we step forward and activate these dry bones to life, would you breathe on them? Would you whisper things to us that will be shouted in this city? The name of Jesus would be shouted in this city. We don't do this lightly. We don't, this is not a trivial thing that we're doing. This is a declaration that we're making. We're on holy ground. We, we may not have realized it till right now, but we are on holy ground. And we're taking, we're taking the staff, that ordinary staff, that ordinary shepherd's staff, and we're throwing it down. We're saying, God, use it for your glory. Take that thing, use it for your glory. Devour evil with that. Part the Red Sea with that. Release the people into freedom with that. Break open water from a rock with that. And may our staff now be called God's staff. We seek your presence, Jesus. We're nothing without you. We're nothing without you. This is where revival starts. So God, we give you the places that we already have in our hands. We give you the marketplace, our businesses, our homes, our schools, the everyday, ordinary places that we've discounted and we lay it at your feet and we say, God, breathe on them. Make the dry bones rattle and come to life once again. We need your presence, Jesus. where apostles were called out to take your presence to a lost and a dying city. We pray this all in the name of Jesus and all God's people said, Amen.